Hey, what's up, all? Welcome to the Double Take. We're going all the way back to 1986 today. We're going to skip school, steal a Ferrari, catch a baseball game. We're going to sing on top of a parade float. And we're going to do all this before our parents get home from work. I'm, of course, talking about the John Hughes classic, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Marty joins Terrence and I, and we dive into all the silly hijinks that Matthew Broderick gets into during this movie. I tell you, I really enjoyed rewatching this one, and I think that you'll enjoy our take on it. So let's get it started. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. <coughs> it's a little childish, but then so is high school. Annie, you're not going to school like this. Call if you need us. They bought it. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Bueller. Cameron Get dressed and come on over. Bueller. He has been absent nine times. Bueller. My father spent three years restoring this car. Ooh. I guess that's my dad. What are we going to do? What aren't we going to do? Why should he get to ditch? Something's going on. Save Paris. Bueller. I hate him. Life moves pretty fast. You're crazy! If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. He's very popular, Ed. They think he's a righteous dude. All right, well, welcome back to the Double Take Podcast. Today, we're looking at a great movie, some older... I don't know if it's a classic. I'm going to go classic, and that's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So join with me today, of course. Terrence, as always. Terrence, good morning. Morning, Mark. How's it going? Awesome. It's awesome. And uh, we welcome back to the show Mr. Marty Clark. Marty, what's up, dude? Dude, I am so excited to be here, and I'm very proud that I behaved well enough to get the return invite, so thank you. Listen, Marty, we talked to a bunch of different people about having you back, and the sportos, the motorheads, the geeks, sluts, bloods, wastoids, dweebies, dickheads, they all adore you. They think you're a righteous dude. That's so we right, brother. <laughs> that's right. They all adore him. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> so well, so welcome back, Marty. Uh, yes, I thought you did a fantastic job last time. So you're, Thanks. you're in, buddy. You're in. All right, so cool. So we're talking about Ferris Bueller. Terrence, why don't you, uh, since how you're in the mood to quote the movie and give some, some facts. Always. I'm always down to quote Ferris Bueller. But yeah, I, I, I can love it. take you through it. Yeah, give um, us, uh, listen, if you haven't seen Ferris Bueller, we're talking 1986. So if you're listening and you haven't seen Ferris Bueller, first off, I don't want to say you're an idiot, but you're an idiot. You're, uh, you're, you're missing out on life. Like, what are you yeah. doing with yourself? Right. Uh, anyway, what's it about? Give me give me the... Yeah, Ferris Bueller, it's not the most plot-heavy movie. It's pretty simple. Uh, the coolest kid in school is skipping school for the day, taking a day with his best friend and his girlfriend, and he's driving through Chicago and just soaking in life. They're doing everything. They're going to Wrigley Field. They're going to the museum. They're going to the Sears Tower. Um, and meanwhile, you've got the parents are oblivious. They have no idea that he's such a, I don't want to say screw up, but they have no idea that he's getting away with everything under their nose. And then you got the principal, Rooney, who is the villain of the movie, who is just doing everything he can to bust Ferris because Ferris is always getting over on him, getting over on everybody. And that's where the whole plot comes from. We said 1986. Marty, without without aging yourself. Sure. Uh, what's this movie mean to you? Like, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? Like my thoughts are 
that when I saw it, uh, I was immediately hooked. That's the first thing I want to say. I was immediately into the movie. This is not a slow burn. You are immediately, I was immediately sucked in. It's uh, extremely unconventional, okay, for its time. Extremely unconventional, uh, at times outrageous, and at times even suspenseful. The narrative clips along so fast, and yeah. the stakes keep getting higher. It's just something that I walked out I walked out of that movie theater with a smile on my face. To date myself, saw it in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> saw it in the theater. That checks out. Okay. Right. It was a Nickelodeon. <laughs> Did you relate to it? Did you skip school a lot? I was... Uh, you can't get in trouble now, so it's okay to be honest with us. I was a student athlete. Hockey and grades, hockey and grades. That was it. That was my entire life. Uh, So I really related to this kid because I wanted to be that kid. I am going to sit here and tell you with a straight face, never once ditched school. Wow, okay. I went to a very, very oppressive Catholic boys high school. uh, We've got that in common. Not oppressive. Where... Oh yeah, it was us against them, <laughs> and it was uh, th- this. This represented to me a form of escapism that I never even dared to dream of. And maybe that's why I love the movie so much. All right, what about you, Terrence? What are you? Uh, what's your overview of this? Well, I was three when this movie came out, so I did not see it in the theaters. But I have a history of seeing movies way too young. That I've watched like every horror movie under the sun by the time I was like ten. I saw this, I don't remember exactly when I saw it, but I do remember me and my aunt would constantly just back and forth be going, Bueller, Bueller, of anyone, course. Bueller. <laughs> and I was probably like eight years old or so. So there's a lot of stuff that an eight-year-old probably, this movie's fairly harmless, but there's a little language, a little a little innuendo um, that you probably don't, like I, don't, I wouldn't show it to my eight-year-old right now. Um, but I am excited for, I don't know, maybe three or four years from now showing it to him. You wouldn't show it to him now, even at eight, no? No, you know what? I'm a little, I'm, I'm more open than my wife is with those things because I had that experience of seeing everything way too young. I was watching The Thing and Halloween Friday the yeah, 13th when yeah. I was like eight years old. I don't know how I got away with all that. Um, but she, she wants to preserve their innocence more and I can definitely see the benefit of that. So I'm, I'm on board. So we, we can all wait right. a little bit. I can respect that. Yeah. I can respect that. <laughs> I'm, I'm four kids deep, right? So yeah. at this point, first kid, maybe right. have some of that in. Fourth kid, I mean, she's literally out there watching Walking Dead right now. So, <laughs> so there you go. Like, good luck with that. Yeah, I, I don't remember where I was when I saw this movie, but uh, I know that I've seen it a handful of times. I, I pretty much lost count at this point, you know. So watching it again before this that show was awesome. I can guarantee you that I did school uh, at some point. Uh, I had a pretty easy high school schedule or I didn't really have to skip because I didn't have a whole lot going on up there. I was not the... And yet you did anyway. I was, <laughs> I was not the valedictorian of school, right? <laughs> so there was a time where my brother would do that once in a while. So I kind of envied him a little bit in that regard. So I came home from school one day. It was a snow day. This is up in New England. It was a snow day. And him and his buddy built a limousine out of snow in my <laughs> front yard, right? I mean, this was so extravagant. I have a picture of it somewhere, but they had food coloring on the window. So it was a white limo with the, and they painted the windows were black. It was awesome. I just remember like, you know, my mom comes home from work at her normal time and very relatable to the Ferris Bueller mom, by the way, like, I don't want to say clueless because my mom's not clueless, but at this point she's like, Oh, like you guys, when did you build this uh, limousine? Like we did it after school, ma. Yeah. (laughs) You want to see the best thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it was just like, so I think she knew, but 
at that point she might have lost the fight at that she you know she gave up but i had older siblings that would would kind of do wrong so i was able to get away with more when i was younger so much like i was just explaining like my youngest is you know doing whatever she wants because it's it's been done you know they they've beaten us down to the point oh, where yeah. we're yeah so Ferris Bueller great movie uh, i've never had a day off uh, quite like his uh, who has I, well right like, <laughs> I, even even as an adult this is the ultimate <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's had a good day so this movie uh, i think it was a 30 million dollar budget i think is that right marty or it was about 30 million it came out in 1986 came in 10th that year mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so the number one movie still a great movie which of course was top excuse me top gun yep so top gun number one number two crocodile dundee three was karate kid this is the first karate kid so that's a fantastic movie too like at least at its time you know what i mean uh not very believable with ralph macchio as you know anyone that could beat anybody up but whatever (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and number four of course was uh was back to school if you remember that movie, i was actually i was surprised that was number four but uh ronnie dangerfield was yeah he was huge at that time yeah yeah i don't know because what year was caddyshack was that Early. That was early. That was in oh, the seventies yeah. for sure. Like, was it late seventies? Seventy-eight, I would guess, something like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I was thinking it was a little later, but either way. So this is Dangerfield. That is funniest. I think that's that's the only Dangerfield I know of those two movies. So, but some other movies that came out that year, not in order, but Color of Money came out. Mm-hmm. That was pretty solid. Cobra. If you're big, if you're a Stallone fan. Yep. And I, I wrote this one down because Short Circuit was always one of my favorite. Oh movies, yeah. Even though you know Johnny Five. Johnny Five. He's alive. That was the uh, the gist of what was going on in '86. It's amazing looking back. Like this was so long ago; it's almost forty years ago. And you see this list of movies, and it's like, holy crap! There's like, it's just a whole list of like classic movies. Like, mm. and this movie finished tenth. It was yeah. like the tenth highest grossing movie of the year, and it's just all time classic. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I see when I go through and I find these lists, it's adding to like our pedigree of what I want to do for movies. You know what I mean? I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, we get like, can we do Karate Kid? Like, when can we do Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> because I want to sit and talk about it. No one may want to listen to us talk about it, but, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I really enjoy that. So Mr. Uh, Mr. Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars at the time. So that's pretty good for him because he doesn't usually rate anything favorable unless, yeah. you know, it's kind of a goofy We'll movie. take it. Yeah. Anything that's not four stars is objectionable in my eyes, but we'll, we'll take three. I'm going to have to see what project. he gave four stars to. I want to know what we're up against. Huh. I don't, I don't know of one offhand. So maybe we'll have to look. I, I, well, I like to see what comedies he did because I know like if it's a big sweeping epic movie, that would be more likely probably to give four stars. But I, yeah, I want to know like is three stars, the cap for kind of a zany comedy like this, or I mean, it, it as we'll go into, it gets a little deeper than just straight up. Okay. Jokes. But, uh, yeah, this I'm, I'm sure in all three of our eyes, this is a four star movie for sure. This is yeah, this is really good. So obviously, this is a John Hughes movie. I say obviously, it's not obvious, but I'm, I'm telling you now, so now it's obvious. Uh, so John Hughes, uh, you know, rest in peace. He had a series of they're just classics. They're just all, yeah. a run of like these kind of high school teen angst. Yeah, I'm thinking nostalgia, had... but what's the you know what I mean? Like it just it has a spot in our in our lives forever. Yeah, you know because of what he. I don't want to say groundbreaking, but it really set the tone for teen movies going forward. You know what I mean? He took these teenagers, put them in movies, and you're like, oh, wow, these teenagers can be good good actors and actresses. You know what I mean? It's kind of impossible to talk about a John Hughes movie without talking about all of John Hughes's movies and where this movie sits. And he had done Breakfast Club, which was his statement of the class system that exists in high school. Yep. And that's John Hughes talking to us. This is how it is. It's never going to change. 
And this is how the teens react to it. And you could see almost a reactionary piece in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he takes the gloves off and says, now we're going to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so John Hughes, uh, interesting factoid, by the way. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but a little interesting factoid. Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off all take place in Shermer, Illinois. Yep. And uh, Shermer? S- same high school. Yeah, Shermer. It's the same, same high school. school. Yeah. yeah. Your boy had a formula and did every variation on the theme. So that, I, I think it's almost impossible to talk about a John Hughes movie without talking about John Hughes himself, to talk about uh, where this sits. So he started, I didn't realize this until I started looking up, but he did Mr. Mom. Yeah. He did Vacation, right? You mentioned 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, uh, European Vacation, Weird Science was a John Hughes movie. Did he do European? I I thought it was just National Lampoon's Vacation and Christmas Vacation. He, um, I don't know that he directed all these, but he was at least, at the very minimum, he was at least a writer. Okay. On these movies, so he wrote the the script and um, you know was in on the screenplay for all these as well. Yeah, Pretty in Pink. You got Ferris. Some kind of wonderful, which I love that movie. To be honest, that's a good Eric Stoltz movie right there. And then he got into the John Candy with the planes, trains, automobiles, Uncle Buck. Christmas Vacation was also he was a writer on that. Home Alone was you know probably one of the bigger ones that mainstream wise anyway. So he just did a lot. Those are some like he did more than that, of course. But those are the main ones I think that looking at those. The ones that meant more, like to me as a as a watcher, the one I didn't really care for, and these like pretty in pink, whatever you can take it or leave it. I know Marty's throwing his hands up. Same. Oh, you don't care? No, I thought, no. Oh, I'm I like, thought you what, were what is the big deal about that movie? <laughs> nah, I don't get it. No. Yeah, but you know what? It probably spoke to you know you're talking about Molly Ringwald as she was. Like, here's a a female lead at the time that teenagers could relate to. But I think the problem with some of those is that he cast her. 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club. I only know her from Breakfast Club. Like, that's the one I care about, right? So that's the character. She playing that same character in all these movies? I couldn't tell you. You know what I mean? But that's how I picture her. It's like, oh, you're you're Claire. That's well, you well he liked using the same actors. We could even, we'll get into, like, yeah. the casting what-ifs on this. And he almost had some returnees from the Breakfast Club playing Ferris and Cameron and all. He did. He did, indeed. I don't know if you could say he's ahead of his time, but he definitely paved the way. Like, he was one of those... Like a, if you think of George Lucas with Star Wars and the way he did special effects when in '77, right? I think Hughes as a as a writer, as a as a movie maker or a filmmaker, he kind of set that tone. I think going forward with that because you didn't see these types of movies before he did them, and now you see them all over the place. I think what he did is they had like high school movies, college movies. You had Animal House and Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds, but they were all like just huh. going for laughs and. Yeah salaciousness and all that he kind of added a new dimension of like an emotional dimension of like what are these kids actually dealing with like a little bit of a heavier element to it to go with the comedy that those movies had he dealt with a lot of this stuff in his own personal life if you dive too deeper into john hughes we won't get into that today but he dealt with a lot of that stuff a lot of autobiographical stuff yeah 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 and i think a lot of good directors or writers will do that like when they tie like steven spielberg's big on that like if you watch any documentaries on him a lot of his movies overlap his his life whether it's you know divorced parents or siblings or things like that there's elements it's not the whole thing but there's just elements that make them what they are it's like a good songwriter you know what i mean like if you have an abusive parent or something like that and you're you're probably gonna write a great song you know i don't know you know uh so stars matthew broderick we love matthew broderick he's um 
I like Matthew Broderick. What, do you like Matthew Broderick? Yeah, I'm always happy okay. whenever he pops up in something. Matthew Broderick's great. Okay. So, fun fact, I watched uh, War Games this week as well. Nice. I wanted to get a little more Matthew Broderick before we recorded. So, he's just as cool in that movie, too. Like, young kid in that, of course. War Games was one of his first films. That's probably the first one that we'd know him in. That was in 83. Project X, I liked a lot. That was with the monkeys when they go into space. Pretty good. I don't movie. even think I know that. This, Project, is that what it's called? Pro- that was Project the, X. The, the party movie from like 10 this, years well, or so. Yeah, there's another there was one a by, previous one? Yeah, there's another one by the same name, but but this one was in 87. Um, they were, He was training monkeys or orangutans, like sign language and how to fly like ships to go into space or whatever. All right, I know what I'm doing um, when I get home now. No, look Seriously. it up. Honestly, look it up. But he was in uh, The Freshman. He was obviously the voice of Simba and Lion King. Cable Guy, which, you know, little Jim Carrey there. Uh, I like Godzilla, the version of Godzilla he was in. I thought he was pretty good in that. Yeah, you know, not he hasn't really done much like since two thousand. You know, Godzilla was ninety eight. Not like big starring stuff, but like he does a exactly. lot of Broadway. Like he was in the producers was his big thing with yeah. Nathan Lane, and he pops up in like a lot of different TV shows and smaller roles. But yeah, he he's not. I wouldn't say he's usually the leading man. At least not on like not anymore. Theatrical, yeah, not like anymore. Because he's not a big action guy. You know, nah. like he never was. Like he was just he's just a good solid. He's going to make the movie better, but I'd like to see him more of these, like, second or third leads. That's what I would like to see him going forward. Well, Matthew Broderick is essentially a character actor that you can actually hang a whole movie on. Look at Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay, yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, he's not an action guy. I think he broke out on Broadway with Neil Simon's Biloxi Blues, and people were saying, who is this kid? He's too young to be that good. So he got his first notices as an actor at the time it wasn't as smooth a transition as it is now into movies you know what i mean so the, the transition from movies to tv to, to stage is a lot smoother now it's a lot it's a lot easier now uh but he made them he made the transition into movies with with the, the movies that you mentioned yep but that's where that's that's the one where people started to hear his name is is on broadway and so he was very reliable as an actor and i yeah. think that's probably why john hughes hung Hung this whole movie on him. This kid could carry a movie. Yeah, and Biloxi Blues, he worked with Alan Ruck, who ended up being Cameron. They worked together on that. That was the first time they worked together. So yeah, it was pretty cool. They came back together on the screen. But I think you're right, Marty. The like, I feel like actors used to have a designation of you're a theater actor or you're a TV actor or a movie actor, and then you didn't really transition between those things. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, you can mm-hmm. you can like you see kind of big name movie stars or. Starring in Broadway productions on like limited runs, you got guys going between movie and TV, and the lines have blurred a lot more than they used to be. It used to be real yeah. set, like you find your lane, you stay in it, and that's right. what you're known for. Fun fact about him: he was actually supposed to be cast. He was the original choice, of Alex Keaton on Family Ties. Oh yeah, I have yeah. heard that. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if he turned it down or they just changed their mind. I mean, but they made a good choice with Michael J. Fox is incredible in that. It was that same era when those shows were coming out. Like I think that would have changed his projectory for sure if he was in yeah. that role. And in that era, I think they they were they had a kind of a similar like they were both cool, they were both good looking. You can interchange they, them yeah. in a lot of these roles if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you could picture Matthew Broderick, well I'm not gonna picture it, but could he be in Back to the Future? Like maybe. I think he could probably pull yeah, it off. I could see you know it. what I mean? And then vice versa, you know, could Michael J. Fox be Ferris Bueller? Like I, I could, could see that too. I could sure. see that probably too. Pretty, so probably a pretty easy transition for either of them. Yeah. Wouldn't get to use his hoverboard to run home to well, beat everybody home, we'd have to actually sprint it out. But. Those would be the jokes, right? <laughs> nice. Uh, so you mentioned, uh, you know, Alan Ruck, who plays Cameron. 
he's another one of those guys. Like he's, you know, we, we talk a lot about supporting actors. He doesn't, he's not incredible in anything that he does, but he's not horrible in anything that is. He's just, he's your everyday man, in my opinion. You know, he's just the guy that's there. He's not forgettable because in, you know, as Cameron, obviously he does pretty good, but. Yeah. He's never the star. I, I think he is great whenever I see him, but yeah, he's never the oh, headlining he guy. Oh, he for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I think he's gotten a little bit of a renaissance lately because he was in Succession. Right. He was uh, he was the oldest brother, Connor. Yep. yep. Um, and it had been a long time since I'd really seen him in things. I'm sure he was working and in, in some things. But I think the only things I can, other than Ferris Bueller, like anytime you see him, it's like, oh, that's Cameron, no matter what he's in. He was in uh, Speed. Go ahead, Marty. I know you're raising your hand. You got something you know him from. Every time he comes up, just exactly what you said, just to back up your point. Every time he comes up in one episode of whatever we happen to be watching back in the day, we'd be like, oh, man, it's Cameron. You never say yeah. it's, it's Alan Cameron, Rock. You say it's Cameron, man. What is that dude's yeah. name? You it's know? so interesting because yeah. I, I always wonder what, what actors that have that happen to him think. Like, are you grateful that you've had this iconic part that has stood the test of time? Or, like, are you a little bit resentful? Like, hey, I'm I'm Alan Ruck. Like, I've done a lot of things. Right. I've been on Broadway. I've been in shows. I've been. Right. So, I, I don't know. I'd like Guy's to ask him something actor. like that. Yeah, and everybody. If I saw him on the street, this guy was on the stage for the Golden Globes, which take it or leave it, you know. And if he if he walked into this room, we would all just go, "Oh my God, it's Cameron!" Yeah. Right. So that's you know, keep calling. <laughs> and I tell him, "Look, you got to sing the song, man. You got to sing the song." When Cameron was in Egypt's land. <laughs> all right that's awesome probably but, gets old for him but yeah there you i'm go. sure he appreciates it too but you know that that's a guy who um i've never heard anything bad about him he's just happy to be a working actor like you said i mean he he gets to make his living doing something that yeah. i assume that he enjoys so good for him sloan played by uh is it mia sarah mia sarah yeah. yeah like she hasn't done a whole lot right and that's a little like she's been like not big movies like this was this was probably the thing that you'd know her from the most. Like she's been in things. She was in Legend with Tom Cruise. Yeah, that was her other big one. She was in uh, Time Cop for a small role. If you're into John Claude, you know. But otherwise, yeah, I thought that she. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if she's not a good actress or something happened with her. She did marry uh, Sean Connery's son. I, if you, uh, I, I did see that, and yeah. they're divorced, and then she's married to Jim Henson's son. Yeah. currently I <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah, so, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Wow. She's like a bit of a groupie. I don't know what she's <laughs> she's doing there, but. I thought she looks incredible in this movie, and I thought that if nothing else, she would get roles because of her looks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I don't want to sound shallow with that, but that's exactly how. I'm no, but sounding. that's fair to say. But, like, we all saw this when we we're young, and yeah, any any young male that watched this movie, if you didn't fall in love with Sloane, like I don't exactly. know what you were doing. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I don't know if you I don't know if you looked this up, but she did a version of Birds of Prey. It was a TV show that never really made it in 02, when she played Harley Quinn. I did she, not know that. She, wow. Yeah, she was actually the first female to play Harley Quinn on screen. Interesting. Um, I don't think the series did anything. She wasn't the star of it. There was two or three other girls that were the star, and I forget their names. But if you look it up, it's uh, – I watched the trailer for it, and I you know, I don't know where you could even stream it, to be honest. But, that, I mean, the trailer looks pretty bad. I'm going to <laughs> go, know, I'm gonna have to at least just see the trailer because that's, what, 16 years after Ferris. So, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see because I – other than Legend, which was a million years ago, I saw that. So – I'd need to rewatch it just to kind of jog yeah. my memory, but I don't remember really seeing her in anything besides this. Yeah, no, same. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't pick her out until I was looking her up. But I'm like, oh yeah, she was, you know, in Time Cop or whatever, which I hadn't seen in 20 years. But the the Birds of Prey trailer is just. I mean, you get like it's all like it's a female cast, so you just got these three or four like sexy ladies in leather. 
You know yeah. what I mean? That's going to sell the show. But it just at the time in 02, there wasn't a big comic book push for things. You know, there wasn't much out there in that in that frame. You know, I think yeah. Maybe X-Men, I think, just came out or whatever. But but yeah, going back, like this movie was 1986. Like I feel like this era was like you kind of had those dream girls. Like a lot of these movies had these like Elizabeth Shue in uh, Karate Kid. Mm, yeah. You had Phoebe Cates in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's like these these girls that were like. What was the girl's name from uh, Can't Buy Me Love? Um, like the blonde girl from that. I don't know her name, but that's another one. I'm like, who's this yeah. girl? And how come she's, because cause when I see someone like Molly Ringwald, who I don't find particularly that attractive, to be honest, even as a teenager or whatever, like these other girls I think are, are better looking as far as, you know, again, I'm going to be shallow with just the looks, but. Yeah, just more like the. Yeah, so maybe they weren't good behind the scenes or they, there was something they didn't bring that Molly brought. I don't know, but. All the ones we mentioned, I would rather see you put them in Pretty in Pink, and maybe I'm watching that more. Huh. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like, I just that's how I feel. Yeah, you know that's it. Yeah, yeah. So Jeffrey Jones, played yeah. Mr. Rooney, right? <laughs> what, Dude, you, you like this guy? Killed it, killed it. Ed Rooney, uh, just just every bit. You just hate him. I just you know you just hate him. Yeah, he, and and I'll tell you why. I think he did a great job. All of us. He played everybody's worst nightmare, either as an assistant principal, a principal, an assistant manager, a manager, yeah, a boss. Figure. Any authority figure that's got it out for you in real life is a bumbling idiot. Yeah. Every time he fails, it's right. just the greatest Every, point in the right, movie. It's your best thing. <laughs> he steps just in the mud, it. it's like, just yes, you it. idiot. Yeah. <laughs> the dog's chasing him, it's like, that's what you get. It's very satisfying <laughs> to watch Ed Rooney fail. Yeah. So, so a likable villain, though, for sure. You know, like you like, like you don't like him, but you like him as the villain. Oh, he's incredible! Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, nice, so That's good. Cool. Oh, yeah. So I was looking him up too. Like he's he's been in like kind of everywhere and Everything. nowhere at the same right. time. You know what I mean? So nothing stands out as any other roles that I've seen him in, but. Uh, but you'd recognize him if you see him, like, oh, that's that's Rooney. I, I, only other know? thing I, I know Ted he's Rooney. been in a lot of things, but I know he was in The Devil's Advocate, the Keanu yeah. and uh, Al Pacino movie. He had a he had a minor role in that, and I remember him from. But I. I well, I guess it's too late now. He's got some personal stuff. He ha- he went to jail and had all that. We don't need to get into that. So it's kind of tarnished him a little bit after the fact. But yeah, if you can just remove that and keep him to this movie, this is just all-time iconic villain role. I think he represents the thing that the exi- he's the he's in a human being. Everything that is the anti-Ferris. He is what Ferris is is taking a day off. From yeah. yeah, he's anti fun, <laughs> right? So then we got uh, Ferris's sister played by Jennifer Gray, Jeannie. Uh, yep. Jeannie, this is a great Jeannie. cast at the time because she did Red Dawn, uh, and then after this movie, she went on to do Dirty Dancing, right? Yep, um, and then really nothing else worth remembering after that. Do you know? I'll give you a conspiracy theory, okay? After Dirty Dancing, and I don't know the timeline exactly, Jennifer Gray had a beautiful nose job. But she didn't look like Jennifer like Grey Jennifer yeah. Gray anymore. And her work fell off precipitously. I don't know. Are those two things connected? I think so. Can you refrain from using words with that many syllables? <laughs> uh, like, okay. like, can you dumb it down for me just a bit? Sure enough. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right, Marty. I watched the behind the scenes thing on Ferris and it was interviewing the cast many years later. And they had Jennifer Grey on it, and she she looked the way she does now, and she's she's a beautiful lady, beautiful. But I, it, you wouldn't know it was her unless 
you knew her name was on screen right. or it said, um, I played Jeannie. So I think that definitely affected because like movie stars, you kind of become attached to them. They're, they're iconic. They're, they're things you attach your memories to. And then if it's somebody different, but they got the same name, like if I'm casting Jennifer Grey, I want the, the super funny, super frustrated sister that was Jeannie or I want, <laughs> right, I right. want the, the girl from Dirty Dancing. Like it's almost like it's a totally different actor and then they don't have that cachet anymore it's almost no. like just casting somebody new so you don't really have that so yeah I, I think that definitely did affect their career fun fact about her she's actually married to clark Gregg, who plays colson in the mcu oh wow i yeah. did not know that okay oh uh, i shouldn't say she was married i don't think they're married anymore she went up a, a, a notch on the cool belt for me with that <laughs> one because i was like oh you gotta love colson who doesn't love colson you know but anyway uh, so I love the Charlie Sheen appearance in this. Oh, I think yeah. it's the we can get into if there's any contenders. I think it's my favorite cameo of yeah, all time. He's be. in one scene, could be, and it's the funniest thing. I've, I've seen this movie fifty times, and I was just crying, laughing so hard it. when he's yeah. in the police station we'll, with it. We'll circle back to him because there's actually more to him in this movie, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Okay, and then just to round out some of the cast, Ben Stein, obviously the Bueller quote. Yeah, right. This was, I think was his. He's not. He wasn't an actor before this movie. He was like a professor or something. Yeah, and I read he wasn't even supposed to be on screen. Like he was. It was just going to be the voice. It was voice a joke. Yeah, saying wow. it, but he was so funny and he was cracking everybody up. They're like, we got to put you on camera. He even so. said, "I'm so boring," and they're like, "That's cool." So that whole scene where he's talking about like voodoo economics or whatever he is, yeah. like that wasn't scripted. He was just doing that because yeah. that's what company <laughs> teaches, and they recorded it. Then they recorded I think, the kids well, he, after. Wasn't he like a script writer for Richard Nixon or something like that? He was that? a speechwriter. He, he, he was in the Nixon administration. I said script. Yeah, speechwriter. I apologize. He was yeah. in the Nixon administration. Uh, he was in the room when Nixon resigned. Jeez. That's cool. Yeah, right. so he had that background. And then he went on from here. He does like the Ben Stein show. Like Win Ben Stein's dude. money. Yeah, yeah I used to the, watch that. Yep. And that was Jimmy Kimmel too. I think that's kind of where he got started. Wasn't he the host? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh, low-key, uh, Christy Swanson was in this. She does the 31 Flavors speech. Oh, yeah, my brother's class. sister's girlfriend's boy, that whole she thing. Had, yeah, so she had a good run. Like, I, like, this was, she had, like, you know, just that one line in here, but she was in the program, if you've seen the program in 93. Oh, yeah. She was in The Chase, which was also with Charlie Sheen in 94. Not a great movie. Slapsticky, but kind of funny. Higher Learning, if you've seen that movie. Um, again, not awesome, but not bad. And then she had a small role in Big Daddy with Adam Sandler in 99. She was the girlfriend that broke up with them. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. She was, yeah. Oh, I got to rewatch it then. Yeah. I didn't realize it was the same girl. And uh, she was, uh, I don't know if she was a reoccurring character, but she was on Growing Pains at one point as a young okay. as a young kid. So, But I liked her. She's not, I don't think she's doing anything now. Like she has, I haven't seen anything beyond 2000 that she was in that would stand out. But anyways, no. uh, so the movie, like we said, it's it's pretty straightforward. He wakes up. He's got probably the most gullible parents I've ever yes. seen in my life. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And he just decides, I'm not going to school today. I was trying to figure out the timeline of his morning. I mean, nothing matches up. At one point, he's sitting out having a drink on the patio, and then he's taking a shower, but then he's in his room. I think it's pretty keyboard. impossible to fit this all in one day. you got to <laughs> yeah, have a little bit of suspension and disbelief with it. But I like how intri- intricate he's, uh, he makes everything. You know, you see him, uh, the, the War Games character comes out. He's, he's hacking the school database. Yeah. Right. He's changing the, the nine times. The number of absences you know. going yeah. down right in front of Rooney's eyes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The the dating of the keyboard when he's sticking a floppy disk into oh, the keyboard. Dude. Oh, dude. <laughs> Did you have one of those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, there when we held those in our hands and said, what is this? And it changed the game. I majored in English. So you could literally save a paper. 
and go back to it instead of just typing <laughs> it once and throwing it at your professor saying, I hope this sticks. You know, you could actually like work on something. It changed. They looked about as big as uh, something other that doesn't, that's not around 45s. They, they changed the game. So and the, Mike, the, he, the floppy disks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The big, the big, the, that's why they called them floppy disks because they, because you couldn't do that to me. You might mess them up. It's so jarring to see like the old technology in movies now. My, my wife and I we were talking the other day about how technologically savvy our kids are. They're eight, six, and four. And she was saying how our oldest son, Max, he grabbed her phone the other day. He plays games on her phone sometimes. And he just stuck it in front of her face just to unlock it. It's got like the face ID. And then he knows how to do everything. It's like we didn't have any idea of any of this when we were kids. And yeah, you go back and you see like the floppy disk or you couldn't even save a paper or whatever. It's like, God, it really has advanced quite a bit. Marty, I know you said before it was uh, when we kind of introduced you uh, how groundbreaking this movie was. And I think part of what you're talking about was the whole fourth wall breaking yeah, that Ferris uh, does. One of the things that uh, I looked up speaking directly to the audience was maybe done once or twice. Like I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not a movie historian, but this is a major, major piece of propelling the narrative forward yeah. for this movie. So groundbreaking i'm gonna go with yes yeah absolutely this he 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 moves the what's he say about cameron cameron is so uptight where's him where's him where's him, oh, where's if you, get if you put a lump of coal right that's ass, it right, right, right. okay yeah. so he's explaining to the to the audience this is what's going on and there's a look he gives the audience where cameron says we didn't do anything good and and camera uh, what's his name ferris Bueller looks at the camera like what it's a dialogue well, it's a monologue, but it's it's a converse, it's a it's a conversation between the audience and that character. It's like I said, it sucks you in immediately. Yeah. He looks at the camera and says, "My worst performance of my career," and they never doubted it for a second. Yeah. I may be paraphrasing, yeah. but uh, and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be something different." Yeah, and it's just I'll him. Watch no one this. else has that ability. It's only Ferris can look right. to the camera and and kind of share what's Absolutely. going on. Absolutely, it has that Deadpool connection. Right, because that's, yeah. what, that's what Deadpool does. And there's even the throwback at the end of Deadpool 1 where he's in the shower. Yeah, actually, and they, does yeah, the same man. thing. They that's redo right. the scene. Yeah. You're still here? <laughs> yeah. So I really like I, – I like that when you ask if it's groundbreaking. I like the, the that fourth wall, as they say, talking to the camera. You know, But you don't want to overdo it. So we talk about when – when you think about do you like movie narration, like a like a Morgan Freeman comes in and narrates, that's one way to deliver a message, which some people think it could be lazy. I think the fourth wall could be considered both ways, but I like that. I think, like you said, Marty, it moves the plot along, right? Because there's little things that you can that you just they're telling you to kind of help you understand the movie better, and it probably saves the production value to say, "Oh, I don't have to do a scene of this happening or this happening." You can just talk about it, and it gets the same job done. It saves John Hughes the burden of exposition, yeah, to have Ferris just tell you what's going on. Yeah. And that's why I said that movie clips along pretty pretty quickly. I think it really enhances his whole persona too. Like Ferris Bueller is the coolest person that's ever lived. And it's like he's kind of sharing this with us. We feel cool. We're in right. on the joke. We're in on everything that's happening. Yeah. So I think in that way it helps too. Yeah, no, I agree. The subtle things that were in here, you know, he's playing the the clarinet yeah. to the I Dream of Genie song. Yep. And then yeah. it's like they make flash of the thing, Genie, you know. So yeah. that was a nice tie in <laughs> when they pick up Sloan from the school. And he's got the outfit on. It looked like Inspector Gadget. Yeah. yeah. Who he went on we to play later. Play. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, a little foreshadowing. Do there, you which... have a kiss for daddy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of little things in there that 
that I liked. But I think what you see in the first part of this movie was just how, like, elaborate he had to set everything. Well, you see it throughout the movie, right? Especially when Rooney goes back to the house. But all the little things that he had to do, you know, between he gets Cameron and now he's he's calling the school. Like, he's supposed to be sick. He's got Cameron doing the voice of Mr. Peterson, you know. and then The, he's, the length he's gone to to set yeah. this all. He's got answering machines set up. Yes. The doorbell message at the house. He's oh, got yeah, the man. fake mortuary message. Everything. How is he writing that to the mortuary? You know what I mean? That's what I don't get. He, you know, that's one of those things He's where a mastermind. He's a mastermind, for sure. Um, they're recording on the doorbell at his house. Yeah. The, um, I never thought of that. When his mom comes home for lunch and he's got the, the trophy – Tied to the stereo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the like, snoring coming through the stereo. <laughs> Works yes. perfectly. Yeah. The dummy in the bed. Yeah, I wonder how many times people have tried that. It's like, oh, how do I do I have a <laughs> snoring track that just goes on for like eight hours yeah. that I can just play all the, day? The keyboard with all the coughing, sneezing, oh, barfing sounds on it. It was awesome. Like, it was a little ahead of its time with some of that technology that – not the, the more of the craftiness that he did to it I think was pretty cool. Yeah. So I like that a lot. So anyway, so, uh, so he gets this done. He gets Cameron out of the house. He steals the Porsche or the uh, the Ferrari, sorry. Yeah. Awesome car, by the way. To my way of thinking, the plot breaks down into four simple acts. One is springing Sloan, which gives Hughes the ability, because it's Ferris and Cameron that have got to do it together, which shows their dynamic together. The second act is a day off. Yep, and yep. then the third act is Cameron's metamorphosis, which is the, the shortest act, but it is Cameron... Uh, doing his metamorphosis uh, into what, I have no idea. And then the last act is the race to beat Rooney. So so those are, that's how I thought, I'll pose it as a question. Do do you think I'm simplifying it too much? No, that's how it falls into it. I mean, Cameron's, Cameron is almost like putting, distilling the breakfast club down into one character. It's like all the the parental, parent-child, pathos and emotional relationship stuff with that. Yeah. Like the rest of it is pretty much pure comedy, but Cameron kind of brings in that. So yeah, he does get his what own. What a great insight. Act, his own he's dimension. emo. He's sick. He's um, dweeby. Yeah. He's, he's got, he's parent got a problems. Bit of in the, the only thing club. he's not is an athlete. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. That, that's the only thing he's not. But he's, he's got the Red Wings jersey. That's a so great at least insight. There's a little callback to it. It's rolled into one. Uh, I don't disagree with your acts. I think you could probably your version of one and two, probably the same, where he he, he gets the gang together. He gets Cameron, he gets yeah. Sloan, and then they hit the town. Now now they're now they're in Chicago downtown or whatever, and like boom, now the Yeah. He kinda he's gotta spring himself first. He's gotta sell his parents on him being sick and yeah. calling out of school and getting that all set up. Get Cameron spring Cameron from himself because Cameron is just yeah. laying in bed. He doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to give in. And then yeah, Sloan is the final piece. I like when the nurse walks into the class and Sloan just starts oh, smiling. Oh, yeah, she's putting her coat on yeah, she's she's like, oh, before yeah, they even say me. her name. It's yeah, amazing. I love it. But nobody catches on. The adults are so dumb and so gullible in this movie. Like, yeah. Rooney is not gullible. He knows Ferris is up to no good, but he's such a bumbling idiot that he right. can't he do can. anything about it. But everybody else is just willing to believe it, willing to go along. They, they, there's so many little touches, like when uh, when Ferris's mom picks up Jeannie from the police station, like the desk sergeant. He's like, oh, tell Ferris all the boys here are pulling for yeah, like, How they, the hell do they know about it? It's in the newspaper. And they like, paint the water tower. The water tower, everything. <laughs> yeah. There's so many little little details that is so hilarious every time you see them. I think another kind of famous scene from this movie is 
when he's like, uh, you know, Froman, Party of Three. Oh, Abe Froman. Abe Froman, the Sausage, Sausage King of Chicago. King. <laughs> so there's an actual place, the Sausage King of Chicago, that they sell, like it's hot dogs and brats or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so there's an actual website out there. It's Sausage King of Chicago. That's a, you know, dot com. That was, a place. That's probably came after the movie, though, right? Was oh, I'm sure. The movie? Yeah. I'm sure someone locked that right up and said, yeah. oh, that's going to be me now. Yeah. You know, well, I don't... One thing I love is when they go to that lunch that, that you think about is did Abe Froman show up for his reservation? Like he saw his name on the list there. Right. And if he showed up, all hell would have broken loose. They would have gotten caught and kicked out. So did he just not show up? Was it lucky? I don't know how that all played out. Yeah. Just an unanswered question that we'll never, we'll never know. In that scene, there's a mater D. Yes. And he is a little rat. Fuss budget. (laughs) He's, he's a rat. That's a great, excellent. Snooty. 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 Once again, just skip to the end. Ferris Bueller gets over on this guy, and this guy is like, Dan, you know, tiptoeing around yeah, Ferris so Bueller's table, wisdom, yeah. making sure. And Ferris Bueller says some sort of line that really—it's it, understanding shoot. that allows people like me to yeah, tolerate, tolerate yeah. people, people like such you, as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's the satisfaction of the movie. You know, that's that's the snooty, the snooty mater D. It does. It's not long before Ferris Bueller gets over on it. He gets away with it. Yeah, all the people in power, Ferris just sticks it to him right. every yep. time. Well, I like how, but he everything he does during all this stuff is like he has the confidence to pull it off. You oh, know, yeah. Like he never questions himself once. He never gets through anything that, like, he never doubts himself. So when he's like, no, I demand to be seated, like, just as that phase, you know. Yeah, just Cameron and Sloan are like, first forget it. Let's just go. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, we're going to make this work. And then it works out with the with the phone. Everything's kind of cool. But anyway, so they go through their day. They, they're eating there. You know, they flash over to now. Now Rooney's catching on. And he's trying to track him down. Goes to the uh, the arcade, the pizza place arcade. Yeah. Right. But again, this is the timeline I'm talking about because it's, uh, what I, mean, I guess, lunchtime. Right. Right. Yeah. And what, it's filled with kids. Like, it's a school day. Why yep. are there so many like? I, I never school. That. Yeah, <laughs> like, I hadn't thought of it either. But I, yeah, I could see maybe a couple of high school kids that if it's near the school, you're just like, oh, we're just gonna get a slice. I don't know if they did that back in '86, right? But you know, but there's younger kids in there. Like you, you can't leave school. Like there's no, there's no track out. It's not summertime. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there it is. I miss arcades. Just for the record. Yeah, and and that scene. There's so many quotable lines in this movie, but no one at home can see. But I've got my Chicago Bear shirt on because this is just such a great. Chicago movie, which we could get into, but Rooney goes to the counter and the guy's watching the Cubs game and Rooney being so oblivious, he's not looking. He, Ferris catches a foul ball at Wrigley Field, but he goes, what, just to illustrate how stupid Rooney is, he goes, what's the score? And the guy goes, nothing, nothing. So obviously it's tied. Nobody's winning. He goes, who's winning? Right. <laughs> the guy looks at him like, you're the dumbest person I've ever seen. He goes, the Bears. <laughs> it's a baseball <laughs> game. I, that, that line always has stuck with me. So You know, they they do their day. Uh, they go through around town. He ends up on the parade, right, which uh, it's just the— uh, All-time scene. Yeah. Don Shane, twist and shout. But that's uh, that's essentially what he's doing for the day without getting into everywhere they went. I mean, they went to—let's see, they, they stole the car. They go to— the Sears Tower, which is no longer the Sears Tower. It's right. uh, called something else now. They went to Chez Louis is the restaurant, which is a fictional restaurant. Right. Um, they went to Wrigley Field, right? So yeah. now he's catching foul balls. They went to the museum. Uh, oh, the Stock Exchange was another place yeah. they went to. There's their day. Like, they were hanging out, doing their thing. I like to pose a question to the panel at large. <laughs> what do you make of the scene that John Hughes pays a lot of attention to where Cameron is staring the art. We're getting into it now, okay. A 
staring at that at that painting and watching that image of that child disintegrate into dots. Yeah, just okay? close up on him. Just closer the closer, and closer you get like to that painting, the more you realize it's just dots. That painting is called Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. Cool. Which, uh, fun fact, <laughs> it's also the screensaver on this TV in this room right here. Oh, Wicked. how about that? It's, part of, it's a smart TV screensaver now as well. So I guess we can we can skip ahead to the uh, you identify more with Cameron maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't set it as a screensaver; it comes okay. on the TV. Yeah. Well, the question I would pose is: Why do you think John Hughes like? There's a huge close up of Cameron, and there's a close up. What did that mean? Well, I think Cameron is just so trapped, and we never see his dad. We only hear about his dad, and just how he mistreats him and how he, he's divorced from his mom. He only cares about the car. He rubs the car down with a diaper. He doesn't even drive it. It has like less than 150 right. miles on it. It's this beautiful car that just sits there shiny in the garage. And he doesn't give Cameron the time of day. So Cameron, he's not super cool like Ferris. He's not going to go out and do all this stuff on his own. He's, he's never been with a girl, as we find out. So like he just feels like he's nothing. So like he's staring at these... Paintings, you can talk about art and how you interpret it and whatever. And for maybe for Ferris and Sloan, they're just having fun. They're all holding hands with the kids. They're frolicking mm-hmm. around. It's just another box to check on their, their list of things to do that day. But yeah, Cameron, there's something deeper there. Like he, I, I, I couldn't quite tell when I was watching it. Like I've, I've read that that child, it looks like they're screaming. Like it's this beautiful picturesque right. picnic out on a green lawn and just a just an ideal day. But but if you look closer, the the child is screaming. I couldn't quite tell. Like it looks like maybe their mouth is open. So maybe that's what Cameron saw. Like everything looks perfect, but from the outside, but like inside, like he's screaming. Like he can't get out. He's trapped. Something is wrong beneath the surface. So yeah, I think I think that's what elevates this movie beyond like like we said earlier. Uh, you like just those, went a little deep on the uh, Cameron. Uh, yeah, a little bit. No, but but John <laughs> right. Hughes does too. Like I feel like that, that this movie's more than just just Ferris running and singing on the parade and all that stuff. Like it. Cameron is is such an important character for making this a movie that how many years later, almost 40 years later, we're so, still right, talking about. So while you're on the subject then, we'll get into the Charlie Sheen piece, right? I don't okay. know how deep you guys went in the Charlie Sheen piece. So what they cut out is he actually has a name in this. Like he doesn't mention it in the movie, but they gave What's the character name? a name. I don't, I don't know if I wrote it down or not. I'll get back to that. But he had more scenes than initially this. So I he was an that. old friend of Ferris from middle school. No way. And, wow, okay. Yeah, so he what happened was Ferris didn't, pay attention to him or whatever it was. So he went into the abuse and drugs and that's where you see him sitting in that room right there. So, so he got shunned by so Ferris he, in his life. Yeah. So, did so, not know that. so Ferris's motivation is he didn't want that to happen to Cameron. That's why he forces him out to give him a good day. Cause oh, he yeah, sees wow. that same thing happening. So while you were deep, I wanted to go a little deep. Yeah. I, I had no so, idea on any of that. There you go. Uh, but they cut it all out because it didn't matter. Like, I think what you get of Charlie Sheen is awesome. Right. And I'm glad it is what it is. But there was some other parts of that that they never talked about. Speaking of things that were cut out, there is legend of a more uh, thicker Cameron backstory where his father doesn't pay attention to him, but his grandfather does. And his grandfather, uh, in the original screenplay, would take him to Red Wings games, which is why well, he's, got the, jersey, he's yeah. got the Red Wings jersey on as, uh, you know, as... That, that, that in Chicago, going. interesting choice. That that's that. You, well, you know what I mean? That That's kind of like, you know, you, you don't do that kind of in Chicago's walk around with a Red Wings jersey on. But he loved his grandfather so much 
Uh, and then they just cut it. I think they cut it. Well, there's another time. piece of that, too. Actually, John Hughes yeah, the autobiographical is a, a Gordie Howe fan. That's, why, was one of his that's child- why he's rocking the number nine he, sweater. He said it was one of his childhood heroes was Gertie Howe. So, like, like, and I think he wrote it in with the grandfather thing, like you right. were saying, that, that fit, because that's what John Hughes Yeah, wanted. and know, I think like, Cameron is the character that John Hughes most probably. is putting himself onto the screen with. I think so. And I think for everybody, like, everybody watched this movie, you aspire to be Ferris Bueller. He's the coolest guy. Like, Everyone wants to I think cool. I'm him, or I want to be him, and then maybe, like, life goes on, and you realize you're probably more Cameron, like... You're dealing with the world and beating it down, and then you get old like us, and you probably realize we're, we're more Rooney at this point. <laughs> right, yeah. So anyway, they get through their day, you know, without getting into the details of how he gets home and all that stuff. I mean, he gets through, he gets home. Jeannie takes a turn because she does a whole scene with her, with Rooney in the house, uh, which is kind of cool. Incredible scene. But she starts to change after meeting with Charlie Sheen in there. Like, she kind of changes her tune. Like, she kind of gets a wake-up call, if you will, to be like, well, why don't you skip too? Like he's just being, he's saying the obvious things. You know what I mean? He uh, he gets home. Jeannie's on his side now. Rooney gets caught with the, you know, left his wallet in there, and then that's yeah. that, All right? Well, so, can we use this as an opportunity, Marty, to speak about Jeannie a little bit? Like I feel like we've given her short shrift. We've talked about Jennifer Grey a little bit, but I think Jeannie is like kind of low key the funniest character in this movie. She's so good. Jeannie is the lone voice screaming in the wilderness. I hate. Ferris. Yeah, everybody and loves everybody him. who loves him, and they're 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 getting money for him for his new kidney or whatever it is. And she knows, she knows. He winks at her. Yeah, in the beginning, while bed, he's in bed, yeah. while his parents are hovering over him, he winks at her. Well, she's the only one that know like knows the real Ferris. Right. Everyone else, he has everyone else fooled. Yeah. Right now, I would say this: that she meets Charlie Sheen, and she gets all giddy and all. All kinds of strange, but you know she is flooring it on the way home. Oh yeah, because she wants to beat Ferris and catch him out. That is my interpretation. Definitely, right? yeah, yeah. And then this is the nit I will pick. She picks up Rooney's wallet and realizes it's Ed Rooney that scared her so deeply earlier in the movie by being in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's the one that laid that shiner on him or whatever he's got. Yeah, she, the triple karate kick right, right. Just busting him up. And that's when she makes the turn of, okay. So I the nit I would pick is, while I love the fact that Jeannie really just betrays Rooney, I never 100% bought in a movie that suspends disbelief to the, to the, to the degree it does her complete 180 on Ferris. Yeah. Or maybe I'm a heretic. It's the enemy of my enemy is I my think friend. that's what it is, yeah. All right, I'll buy that. You know what I mean? It's like Rooney is such a piece of garbage. Like, do I really want to be on his side on this? Like, yes, I want to bust Ferris. Probably spent her whole life being overshadowed by him and the parents doting on him and overlooking her own accomplishments. So that's why she's always, like, gunning to get him. But in that moment, seeing, hey, I'm on Rooney's side here. Right. Like, he Rooney sucks. Do I want to like, side with yeah. the with with the enemy? Right. You broke into my so, house. Well done, boys. You know. I feel that peace. It, I okay. think I maybe feel, I feel good. I feel good about it. Now. She she has more time to bust Ferris. I don't think the next day. <laughs> I don't think the next day they're going to be lovey dovey and she's going to be cool with whatever scheme he's got cooked up. Right. I think she's still going to be out to get him. But this is pro- This is her best chance to stick it to Rooney. Yeah. So she does. Good. Okay. So they actually had. Um, there was. They wrote in. There was supposed to be two younger siblings. 
yep, in I the did script read that. as well, and they they just took them out, which is probably That's for the best. Smart, yeah, yeah. streamline it. It's good the way it is right now. Yeah, it had too much. You don't need that much depth to it. All her lines, like the, the whole going to the Charlie Sheen scene in the police station. She's, she's like uh, the the whole why don't you stick your thumb up your butt? And he just looks down and like kind of slowly raises his thumb, and yet by the end of it, she's making out with him. Like he's a drug addict. He thinks she's in for drugs. He's like drugs. She's like, no, I'm straight. What are you in for? Drugs? <laughs> yeah. She, she's on the phone with Rooney. The whole scene in the house with Rooney. They both think they're about to bust Ferris. They they meet like around the corner. Jeannie goes Ferris, and then he goes Bueller, and they jump out at each other. That's when she kicks him in the face. It's just the some of the funniest stuff in the movies. Where she's on the phone, she's calling the cops. What she say? Speak in English. <laughs> she's like ready to like break the phone in right. half because nobody gets it. When you think back, how mad she is through the entire movie, and you like you said, Marty, a one eighty to the end. And I love it because now they now they bond, sort of. Like, you know, I could see, like, Ferris Bueller the next day. Like, that would be a cool, like... She's still going to you know, get him. She's yeah. still gunning for no him. Doubt. I don't know. I think maybe no she doubt. changes her tune and maybe she's maybe she does the opposite. And she's like, hey, how do you, let's let's work together on this. Like, maybe we do something together I'd be interested to see, yeah. You know, because I don't think Ferris isn't someone that's going to, like, spite her. He'd probably be like, oh, you want to you wanna join the dark side? Like, let's go. Probably, like, yeah. You know what I mean? And all she'd have to be like... How have I been missing this my entire life? You know, like I could have yeah. been skipping school. Well, you can like, tell you know. it has been going on forever. Like at the beginning when Ferris is like putting on his whole act with his clammy hands and everything. Yeah. She's like, if I was bleeding out of my eyeballs, you would make me go right. to school. But Ferris can get away with this. Yeah. Like, you know it's been going on forever. Yeah, we know who the favorite is in that yeah, house. You right. know? All right, so we'll move on to some uh, some of the categories here. With some, uh, we'll get into some some fun stuff. If it wasn't already some fun stuff. So I did a little research on how much this day would cost Ferris. Oh, okay. That's oh, fun. man. So, uh, In 1986 money or today money? Yeah, 86 <laughs> money. To be fair, I, I don't have the, the link that I found, but someone did a lot of the research. Like someone had a like a blog post about this before, and so I kind of added to it a little bit. But it was actually pretty well done. I started Googling the location of like the park garage, mm-hmm. right? Because they, you know, it's, it's just man, a lot you, of little- Do you? Oh, I went deep. I went Kudos deep. Kudos to you, man. I was, I was, well, curious. I was curious how much. Ferris does flash that money a couple of times. Oh, he makes it rain a little bit. Oh, dude. Yeah. So uh, to park in the city, right? If you ever parked in the city at the time, would have cost them about 15 bucks to park that car. Plus, he gave a $5 tip. To get into the Sears Tower, so if you look it up at the time, to get all the way to the top, in the time frame that they did, you would need, I think it was a VIP pass to get up there. 75 bucks a person. Oh, my God. Back in the day. Right. So awful, right? So that's. 225 just just to get to the Sears Tower. It was the tallest building in the world at that point, right? right? Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Um, So then they go to Chez Louis. There's no prices on the menu. It's a made-up restaurant, right? So there's no prices you can see. But judging by the fanciness of the restaurant, it was a little estimated going on. So they they ate pancreas. They they mentioned it at one point, right? That was, uh, I estimated about $200 for lunch, right? Because they didn't just get chicken fingers and burgers. You know what I mean? (laughs) So there's that. So then they had to take... The, this is where this guy's other article helped me out. A cab ride from where Shay Louis was supposed to be to Wrigley Field, which is oh, where they geez, went next, yeah. would have been about 20 bucks, right? So they steal that. No Ubers back then with discounted mm. rates. So they sit in Wrigley Field. They're in section 103. If you Down the left field line, right? Yeah. And field they bought level. four tickets because there's an empty seat next to Sloan that has their jackets sitting there. So oh, okay. So, so there's Man, four you tickets. Really got yeah. the details. Here. So they were about 85 bucks a seat uh, to sit where they were right there. Jeez. So that's... You know, boom, that's another 340 bucks. The museum at the time was about 16 bucks to get into the museum. What I missed on here, by the way, was the stock exchange. I don't know what it costs to get into that stock exchange, so this won't include that. And then the scene when Cameron freaks out, there's a spot in there, and that's what 
again, this article was pointing out, I didn't catch this, but there was a spot where you could see like the name of the beach that they stopped at. Cause like in the background, you see the beach and they're on, like he's on some rock wall where he's lying down. This is before they get to the right. pool. So when he's like catatonic. Yeah. Right. So it was about seven bucks to get into the beach per person. You had to get in there. So that's another $21 or whatever. Overall estimated it. It was just under 900 bucks for, for his day of his day off. Pretty cool. I just thought that was something where I was like, you know what? Would you spend 900 bucks on a day? Like if you have a date with your wife going out, like, you know, at this point, yeah. maybe not, but I don't know. Well, if he ended up getting the proceeds of everybody collecting money for his life-saving surgery or whatever it was, well, getting, maybe she, he would have knocked that over. She knocked yeah. over the, the box of nickels. Well, what's the guy say? What if you need something from Ferris Bueller one day? Where will you be then, you heartless wench? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so he did a lot there, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So I don't know where he gets his money from, but, you know, he could have used that for a car. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said, yeah, his parents, Jeannie got a – and I, I guess that goes a little bit to show – was Ferris really the favorite? Maybe emotionally, but like Jeannie got a car. He goes, Jeannie got a car. I got a computer. Well, she so was Jeannie, older, right? Or yeah. Was, were they the same age? It's hard she, to she's tell. older. Yeah, but but she made out better for sure on that front. So All right. Not like she was totally ignored. So, Marty, you're a student of the 80s. Yes. Uh, what would you think of the fashion in this movie? You have some like flashbacks of things you wore? You wore a lot of jean uh, jackets? I never really looked as cool as Ferris did in every scene. Yeah. I never rocked a beret. <laughs> Which I thought was dope. And you better be Matthew Broderick playing Ferris Bueller if you're going to put on a beret uh, and, and it looks cool. Uh, I dress more. I, I'll tell you what. I, I had the fashion sense of Cameron, probably. Yeah, same here. Uh, and I will say that the hair uh, on the ladies was a little bit bigger um, Makes than sense. it is these days. Um, uh, it wasn't exactly homage to the '80s. Um, no, not what you'd expect. Not a lot of bright colors. Uh-uh. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that type of situation. Uh, Jeannie had a pair of sunglasses on. If you noticed, that had like the blinders on the side. And yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean, and I don't know if you remember. I used to have. I don't think I had them, but I've seen them with the with the blinders, and you get the little sunglass holders that you put around like your neck. Like, oh yeah. You might you know might have like readers or something, and people take them off, but the leg warmers when she's calling the police or whatever. And then of course in the house had a lot of the, everything was right. wallpapered. I don't know if, I don't know how if you guys, if you use wallpaper, more power to you, but not a lot of wallpaper in the world. Not me. anymore. No, 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 no. More paint. So just a lot of little things like that. A lot of jean jackets when you watch the scenes like through the high school, you know, so there you go. There was uh what I noticed too was at the beginning when they show all the other high school kids, like the close ups. you know, you're in high school, right? So you have, acne when you're in high school and they like they didn't put makeup on these kids like you could see how acne they were and then whenever they showed like any of the main stars you didn't see any like like sloan perfect face yeah (laughs) you know what i mean but everyone else in there they're showing close-ups and you see the pimples or whatever which is fine because that's that's what happened that's what that's where you are it's true so what do you guys think any um specific things that jump out like you talked about uh nitpicks a little bit marty like anything else that jumped out at you was something that no you that change? was the, the genie 180 you guys have settled me on that thank you so much that Good. was my only nit i'm gonna pick. sleep well tonight knowing oh uh, we- yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to go and take a nap okay really the only the only other nick nit that i would pick with the movie is does the movie work just as well without the marry me theme going on where, where ferris asks her we should get married. I mean, which is just yeah. as a... I think it's more of a throwaway thing. It's like, yeah, we're I young, thought. we're in love. Like, 
Yeah, I, I didn't really read too much into it. Like, think that no. it was like a serious thing. Like, oh, that's actually something. I mean, maybe first crazy. Maybe they right. something he would have done that day. But yeah, I, I, I after he said it, five minutes later, I didn't really think about it again. She says at the end, "Now I'm going to marry him." I mean, so so it's kind of it's kind of bookended there. Oh, that's right. When he says goodbye to her, she's like, "He's going right. to marry me." Yeah. Right. I uh, I would have surgically taken that out if I was sitting yeah. on John Hughes's shoulder, be like, I'm with let's, you. "Let's lose that." Okay. Yeah. That's fair. If I've got a nitpick, it's the part about the car. I mean, there's a lot about the car, but but the end, like when Cameron kind of gets over the hump, his his emotional hump of like just like he's going to face up to his dad, he's going to own this, he's not going to let Ferris take the rap for the car, and like it's it's like a positive, uplifting scene. The music is uplifting. They all come together. He's like got this realization. He's like, I got to stand up for myself. But like, if this is all his dad cares about, to where he's divorced, he doesn't care about his kid. He rubs his car down with a diaper. Are you going to be able to just have a talk with him that you just sent it flying two stories down to its doom in the the forest? No, like, he's done. He's dead. He's, he's his done. dad's going to murder him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you need to like leave town or something. My question is this: that point is very well taken. He has he's he's going to stand up to the man, right? The metamorphosis has has is is complete. He's, he's going to come home, and he's going to have to deal with me, is a paraphrase. Yeah, he's like, quote, right? me and him, we're going to have a talk. Right. We're, okay. I don't want to be in a room with that talk, but no. okay, he's killed my Ferrari uh, California. Why then, guys, answer me this. Why then is he catatonic afterwards? Is it like the realization that no, I was killed before. His, Yeah, I that was, that was before. before. When they were in the pool. Like once he realized that he got catatonic when he saw the mileage. The mileage went up because the valets went joyriding with it. So it was like almost 200 miles they put on it. That's when he went catatonic. But when he was still like living in fear of his dad and like, oh, how am I going to explain this? Okay. How are we going to do this? Yep. And and as we found out, he at least for part of it, he really wasn't. He was watching Sloan get undressed right. <laughs> into her bathing suit. Yep. So right. he had that sly smile once they found him out. So at least for a brief brief moment, we're all jealous of Cameron for that <laughs> no, that off screen moment. Right? I love even Ferris. He's smiling. He's like, "You did, didn't you?" Like, like yeah. he's not mad about it. So, do we think any um, any actors uh, peaked in this movie? I think uh, Matthew Broderick probably no. I think, like I said, he's been. This was probably the most. Well, okay, let me ask this though, because uh, Terrence, you've said this before. When someone mentions the actor, it's got to be Ferris Bueller. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Maybe he has. Do you think this is Broderick's best or? When you mention an actor, what's the first movie you think of? Right. And if this is well, first that movie anything, for yeah, it's got to be Ferris. I mean, for, yeah. honestly, for everybody, for Matthew Broderick, he's Ferris Bueller. Definitely Cameron. Cameron is oh, Ca- yeah. Alan Ruck yeah. is Cameron. Mia Sarah is Sloane. Rooney, the Rooney, Jeffrey yeah. Jones is Rooney. Maybe not Jennifer Grey. I think she's she can for, dirty for a lot of people it is, but yeah, a lot probably a bigger contingent would say Dirty Dancing. Yeah, but, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Okay. So, well, there you have it. So, those the three main stars, at least, um, for four, if you count Rooney. This is the role, yeah. Yeah, the that's first the role. thing you think of. Okay. And, um, and can we give, I, I, she's obviously like more of a character actor and she pops up in a lot of things, but we haven't explicitly mentioned her. Edie McClurg, the secretary oh, for Rooney, yeah, yeah. is so funny. She's got that huge hair. She's bumbling around the office with him. She's pretending to be Rooney. She's like, oh, oh, hold on. Pulling pencils out of her hair. She's so hysterical yeah. the whole movie. I, I reference her a little when we introduced yeah, you, Marty, absolutely. about her whole line um about being a righteous dude but she every time she's on she kills what a great utility player yeah 
She she's like, oh, he he's on a on personal business, and Jeannie's like, what does that mean? She's like, I guess that means it's personal, and it's none of your business, young lady. <laughs> she's she, always uh, so funny. They said that she ad libbed a lot of that song, a lot of the, her script. Too. Yeah, like, wow. she, that's how like she was just, you know, hey, say something funny or whatever. She's like that goofy secretary. Yeah, I, lady, I read so. that the line of of he's a righteous dude. She added that on in her audition, and that basically it made John wow. Hughes laugh, and that's what got it for. Like the her. whole dweebies, sluts, all that. That was written, and then she added on. They think he's a righteous dude, and that, that won it. All right, Marty, I'll start with you on this one. What's your, uh, what's your favorite spot in this movie? What's your favorite scene? I think my favorite sequence, he's running home. He's Jumping through on the, the run. He is on... running for his life. Yeah. And passes two uh, very attractive young ladies. Yes. <laughs> and he turns around. He run, he's off screen. Runs yeah. right through them. They barely notice him. He turns around, walks nonchalantly up to them, and with the panache yep. of Ferris Bueller, says, hi, how's it going? You know, whatever yeah, says, whatever Ferris, going. Hi, Ferris Bueller. And, 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 and it presumably takes off again. That, to me, is the essence of that character. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's the coolest. He's, he's going to get away with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not passing up my opportunity to shake hands with these nice uh, young ladies that are presumably of my own age. That ties into you wanting them to get rid of the marry me scene. It doesn't really reflect. Probably. <laughs> what about you, Terrence? What do you think? Well, I, I thought about this a lot because I knew it would come up. So you've got the the run home scene and the parade scene. I think have almost kind of transcended this movie. Like they're their own thing. You can just talk about them on their own because they become such like cultural touchstones. For me, like the more I rewatch this movie is the scene when Jeannie and Rooney are at the house and they confront each other and just Rooney getting stuck in the mud, the dog chasing him, okay. the the stripper gram coming to the door when Jeannie answers the bell. She mm. thinks it's the cops or whatever. Like Just that whole thing. I, I don't think I laughed harder for like a 10-minute a stretch than during that. So I would go with that, actually. Okay, okay. What about you? Probably my favorite scene is probably still going to be the Abe Froman. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I just love that whole approach. Like, you know, we talked about, like, the maitre d' that's there, like that the snooty guy, Yeah, you know. That's the scene that jumps out. That's how good this movie is. We all have three different ones. And if we brought three more people in, they could have three different scenes, too. They could talk about the valets going, the Star Wars music, they're flying over the hill in the Ferrari, and the beginning getting out of it. It, It's it's just so many perfect scenes. Like, Marty, you mentioned the run home, and we talked about how intricate, like, Ferris, his ability to have these doorbell messages, answering machine messages. Every little part has been accounted for to make this plan succeed. But, like, you can see, like, John Hughes is, like, the mastermind that has thought of all this. When he's running home, just the way all the parts move in and out of each other, like, the father's coming home. Right. Ferris is running right alongside him. He does a double take, and then he's gone. Okay. Uh, the the mother's in the good, car uh, with Jeannie. Good word, by the way, double take, just so we exactly, know. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well done. <laughs> Got to work that in. Yeah. But Jeannie slams on the brakes. The papers go flying. The mom hits the dashboard. She doesn't see Ferris. Jeannie does, and she's like, ah, I got to beat him home. Like, every little piece of it, like... Getting there at the exact moment, Ferris running through each house. He's going off the trampoline. He's he steals a drink from the guy barbecuing in his backyard. Like, and everything comes to a point, like right at the perfect time where Rooney's there on the doorstep. Jeannie gets there. Ferris gets there. Like, I'm not sure where you're going with this. You just described the whole last season. Hey, j- Was j- there a point to what you just? No, said? I apologize. <laughs> j- j- man, been cut down here. But no, just just like how intricate, like all the like we talk about. Yeah, there's some nitpicks to be had. But, like, it's just so well laid out, and everything, just the jigsaw puzzle comes together so perfectly. Okay. So 
I, I apologize, Mark. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I, I didn't know where you were going with it. I was like, is this just favorite scene or is it every piece Sorry. of it? I wasn't sure. I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, Marty, what do you think about uh, quotes in this movie? Like, obviously, there's... My man, uh, Terrence. I got it written down got right here. Right. I like to do it in a different voice, though. Do it. I want to hear uh, it. I can't wait. The Sportos, the Motorheads, Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, Wasteoids, Dweebies, Dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. I love it. That, Bravo. That is, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I cannot. Uh, what, is her, what is her name again? Uh, Edie McClary. Dude, she yeah. just crushes it with that. And that, you know what? She knows. She knows who that kid is. She's yeah. been there before. She's she's a, she's the she's the front office person who know everything about everybody. Yeah. So uh, she isn't impressed. She just knows that that kid. They they just love him. They adore him. That's my favorite quote. All right. Well done, Terrence. Uh, we've mentioned most of them. Uh, I got two that haven't been brought up. When they're at Wrigley Field, Cameron is going, "Hey, better, 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 <laughs> swing, better." He can it. He can it. He can it. He can it. Swing better. If you ever played baseball, like that's what we'd always do. Yeah. Anything from Major League and that quote right there. Yeah, like, actually, I said two. There's a lot more than two. We can't get into all of them. Yeah. But I love the phone call when Cameron is on the phone with Rooney and he's doing that whole voice. I don't think I can do that, but he's like, Rooney, you're an asshole. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know. The, the Peterson voice. Yeah. yeah, and Rooney, they, they, the whole front is that Sloan's grandma died and so she needs to be let out of school. And Rooney, he he's so onto Ferris, he knows that it's Ferris that's doing this whole thing. And he's like, "I'll tell you what, why don't you roll the corpse down here? Show, produce a death certificate, and we'll right. get your daughter." Roll her old bones in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that whole scene is great. Um, nice. And then one last one at the end, Rooney has to. He's just been reduced to nothing. His car's been towed away. He's been defeated by Ferris with Jeannie's help, and he's got to get on the bus. Like the indignity of sitting on with all these kids that he hates. And the he, like, no one lets him sit next to him. He's got one seat next to this girl with like these Coke bottle glasses, and she fishes a gummy bear out of her pocket. She's like, you want a gummy bear? They've been in my pocket, so they're warm and soft. And he just takes it, like, chucks it. He's so funny in this movie. He kills me. But yeah, I, I got to leave something for you, Mark. I don't know if I have, but there, there's so many good ones I could get into. I mean, you got so many favorite scenes in this movie. It's uh. You know, I'm I'm proud of you. Good job. I I I love this movie unabashedly. I, I'm, we, I we've that. talked about Shawshank, yeah. and that's one of my favorites. As far as comedies go, I think it's between this and Caddyshack. I don't know if we'll ever get to that, but I think this is number one because it's got that added element of the whole Cameron stuff we talked about. You know what? We didn't even say. How is this possible? We didn't say this. The whole life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around, well, you, you might miss it. Give me a chance. I was going to get some like, quotes. So like, Sorry, Mark. I'm like, what's your I quote? I thought you were passing <laughs> on to the next one. Hey, Terrence, what's your quote? And then I get three more scenes. So I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I got to rein it in. Uh, so the life moves pretty fast. Cause I think that's the one that everyone, I thought I thought you guys would say that one. That's not my favorite one, but it's iconic towards it. My favorite is when they're going to take the car. And he's like, it's his love. It's his passion. It's his fault he didn't lock the garage. Yeah, that's great, <laughs> you know? the, the delivery so, of that. I feel like that sets the tone for where they're going. Okay, so let's uh, let's blow through some of the rest of the stuff here. Uh, do we think this is worthy of a, of a sequel or a TV show? Well, they did make a TV show. I've never seen it. I know Jennifer Aniston was uh, played Jeannie's role in it, uh, but it, it wasn't successful. I don't know if you guys wow. saw that in any of your I research. I did not oh. see that. Yeah, it was a short-lived thing. I don't know how they do a sequel now unless they did, like, present day i don't know what the point of that would be exactly but 
Yeah, this one was perfect movies for me. Just leave it alone. What do you think, Marty? Okay. I think that I would never green light it if I was the head of a studio. Don't touch but it, right? I would like to know how did Ferris become Ferris? Like, oh, like a what prequel. Exactly. Mm. Led to this kid. This kid's the Roadrunner, man. Okay? <laughs> this is a classic Roadrunner movie where Ed Rooney is a coyote. And for yeah. no re- for reasons unknown, just wants to throttle That's good the Roadrunner. That's yeah. a good reference. And did you ever see the Roadrunner when they go out and they're literally standing on nothing but air? And the coyote drops and a Roadrunner doesn't. Yep. Yeah. Because the Roadrunner is going to get away with it. I love it. That in and of itself just makes the movie that much more compelling to me. I think we'll all agree that uh, the title of this movie is probably perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of anything else. I tried to come up with some other titles. And I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't change the title. We've done movies before, and I've spent 10, 15 minutes trying to come up with a title. This one, I spent about 10 seconds like, nah, this is just perfect. Perfect. Yeah. No need. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. One nit to pick. Why would you choose such an odd name? But you know what? It, it's it's memorable. I, I have never. It is now. But it's memorable. But because it's unique, I, I think if it was. Matthew Williams Jimmy Davis's yeah (laughs) like that's not gonna stick well that's one of those cases where you know John Hughes not being around we'll never know but maybe he knew someone named Ferris as a kid like that could have been oh he writes writes from his life so I saw that it was based on a childhood friend possibly but he had a different name it wasn't Ferris Bueller so I I think that was his own invention but yeah I would be interested how he came up with that because it's like have you ever heard of someone named Ferris I think you're right though if it was like if it was like you know Joe, Joey Joey Smith's day off. No one cares. That humanizes that kid. Yeah, you know I mean he, that well, humanizes. Above, I know what Joe Smith. He ain't like that. What's no Ben Stein gonna do? Bueller. Smith, Smith. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it just wouldn't work. You know, right. Bueller just is perfect. You know what I mean? I had a big missed opportunity for Hughes for this year. I think that hmm. well, we mentioned all Hughes's movies, right? And hopefully this will blow your mind a little bit. But I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm ready. Just, maybe I'm just spitballing, right? Good. So I think. And again, this was this would have been Hughes really ahead of his time. But I think that with all the movies Hughes done, I wish he had the foresight to look thirty years into the future and have like a Hughes universe, right? The so, Hughesiverse. The Hughesiverse. <laughs> there you go. Coin that, right? <laughs> like, like picture this: picture characters overlapping, right? I love Charlie Sheen. Why can't that be John Bender? John Bender. You know what I mean? Like, why can't he have history with Ferris? Ties that together. I mean, we love Rooney in this, so like, you know, so I know you wouldn't be on board with this, but can Rooney and Mr. Vern be the same character? I wrote that down, man. Did you really? Yeah. Like, why can't they be maybe an assistant principal? That would be funny. It's all Shermer, Illinois, like, as we mentioned. And it's the same high school, so there is a little element of it being the same universe, but yeah, he didn't, he could have taken a step farther. You could have No way Richard Vernon reports to Ed Rooney. There's just no way. (laughs) You know, I think it would have been, Rooney would have been the assistant dean or something, or maybe, maybe Vern got fired. Or someone, you know what I mean? Someone was there before. Like, I think what would have been cool in the background would have been if they're running through the hallway, you see like a, the, an Andrew Clark wrestling trophy, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like little something Easter like, eggs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, something like that. And it wasn't thought of as much. Now that he has this, like, army of movies that are good and overlapping, it would have been cool to see those little things. Like, oh, this is the class of 83, and it's like Absolutely, know, an old yeah. Robert Downey Jr. picture, or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Like, that's the stuff that I think would have been super cool um, to put in there. We could have gotten into the whole problem with multiversal movies, though, eventually, where, like, multiple versions of Anthony Michael Hall or Molly Ringwald are meeting each other because they play so many different characters in this movie. It's a welcome problem. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. It's a welcome problem. (laughs) I like it. You know what I mean? But, uh, but yeah, I just, as I'm watching through it, 
it's great on its own. I have no problems with this movie, but it would have added those elements where you just get a little excited for some of these Easter eggs in there. So we agree Broderick's a great a great cast of this. We think Michael J. Fox would have been would have sure. been all right too. You yeah. know what I mean? So some people that turned it down, and I don't think any of these guys would have done a good job. Uh, a young Jim Carrey playing him. Uh, I think they turned it down. They it would have been so different. He's so different. over the top, like uh, too much. Yeah. Yeah. He lacks a little subtlety that Matthew. A little bit, yeah. You know, role. John Cusack was big at the time, but I think he was too, maybe too old for it at the time. I don't know how old he was during this, but. He, you could see him being a pretty decent fit, but yeah, I'd still go with Matthew Broderick. Yeah, Rob Lowe, well, young Rob Lowe. Yeah. You know, because you're talking about, what, 80, 86, we said, right? Uh, Johnny Depp at the time huh. was 21 jump streeting it, so possibly he has the charisma, but I think he's, I still think Jack Sparrow with him. So for me, I'm like, yeah, hey. at this point in you time, know, yeah, he's I mean, changed. You, you had a young George Clooney at the time who wasn't really famous at all during that. Was, was he on, up for it? He was considered for it, but wow, he was, okay. I think he was just on Facts of Life, I think was where he made his okay. debut, you know, probably still too old. Like he's, I think he was 40 even back then. I don't know. Yeah, wow, <laughs> I don't okay. know. Tom Cruise, obviously everyone wanted Tom Cruise for every movie because yeah, he is right. who he is, but uh, they got it right. With Broderick, I mean, it's yeah. good, you know. Um, and you probably saw the role for Cameron was supposed to go to Emilio Estevez, and he turned it down. Oh, that uh, would have been th- – this came after Breakfast Club, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you would have had that whole – you would have carried all the way to that into Ferris. So, yeah, I, I, well, onto the Cameron character. So I, I like that they went with someone that you didn't have that prior history with. Yeah, and there's a joke with Alan Ruck where he's like – Every time he sees him in the West of Us, he like thanks him. Oh, <laughs> really? He's like thanks to turn it down because, as you mentioned, him and Broderick are friends from the from the Broadway plays. You know, mm-hmm. so they were, they were already like mm-hmm. had good chemistry for this. So I thought that was pretty good. What do you think about the the soundtrack? I mean, there's a couple of iconic songs in here that everyone you know. Yes, yeah. I wrote these down because okay. I had to look them up. Okay. So don't get don't please don't confuse this with me knowing. When I heard it, what they I would have took full credit. You just made yeah. a mistake. I would have just said, oh, guys. Oh, boy, that Marty knows his stuff. No. Yep. Uh, when they present the Ferrari, and it's actually played a couple of times, Oh Yeah by a, by a, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, by, <laughs> by a band called Yellow doing all their greatest hit. Um, <laughs> Singular. Yeah. So um, when they're driving, when there's no real dialogue going on, when they're driving to, to Chicago, that's Beat City from the ne- from the completely obscure flower pop men this is john <laughs> okay. hughes this is john hughes dipping into his 80s bag man this yeah. is this is this yeah. is john hughes going john hughes on the situation and when he's running there's the english beat uh, with march of the swivel heads again had to look it up but the fact is that john hughes makes more of of music endemic of the of the time than it does, than he does with, dun, da, 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 you know, an actual score, although there is an actual score. But those are the three big ones. The presentation of the Ferrari California, uh, the driving one, which has got that, that, that upbeat music. And of course, he yep. runs for quite a while. And kind of the same thing is like with the actors. You, you hear the actors, you think Ferris Bueller. If you ever hear any of those songs, you think Ferris Bueller. If you ever hear 100%. that, that, right, is, right, right, right. that right. is Ferris Bueller all day. I don't know anything about if that ever played on the radio <laughs> or is associated with anything else. Is like Bueller. Okay, that's well done. Right. That's well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also the tidbit where when they show the parking attendants in the car, the Star Wars theme yeah. is in there, and I was slow like, slow motion. Yeah, yeah, like how did he get John Williams? Like, I, 
I don't know, but I don't care. Yeah, I, no, I it's perfect. It. Part of the know. budget went to that one, man. Oh, I'm Definitely. Sure. <laughs> and then you got on the parade, you got Donka Shane and Twist and Shout. And, and I, I didn't really remember this part, but Donka Shane, there's three, either three or four other times in the movie where someone is like humming yeah. it or singing it. Rooney Absolutely. does it, Jeannie does it, and Ferris does it. Mm-hmm. All outside of that parade scene. I thought that yeah. was pretty interesting. That's cool. I, I, met, yeah. I know Ferris did it at the beginning when he's in the shower. I didn't catch Jeannie doing it, though, but that's cool. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> just a little tie-in, that uh, that's Wayne Newton that sings, like the original Don Shane. And then he's got a kind of prominent role in Vegas Vacation. What's mm-hmm. Mrs. Griswold? Like, she has a little fling with him almost in Vegas. So nice. that's I'm sure it wasn't thought of then, but it kind of... Fun little tie. See, it's all part of the H- the Hughesiverse. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like these, if it was going to be redone, which it never will be, and I don't want it to be, that's what you got to think about. You got to think big picture. Yeah, you know. So I think for this here, I don't think this won any awards as far as like best acting. Comedies never really do. No, not so much. Not so much. A couple of tidbits uh, that John Hughes does do, and if you paid close attention to any license plates in the car, yes, Katie's car, which is the mom's car, it references the National Lampoon's Vacation. Right, so that was a huge movie. Jeannie's car has it says TBC, which is the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I had to look those ones up. I caught the dad's car it says M Mom. That's the so, one that I caught. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, that's the other see. ones, I, I happened to see it in my research after that. Yep. There was like four of them, but yeah, the Mister Mom was the one that I did catch. So I was like, oh, what's that about? That's M Mom. That's why I'm like, oh, he did Mister Mom, and that's why I went back. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and then uh, Rooney's car actually is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's like it says four F B D O. Yeah. On Rudy's Whoa, car. I so, didn't know that one. Yeah. yeah. And the one that's not Cameron's dad's car is nervous. It says nervous. without the yeah. E, it says nervous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like being a director has got to be fun in that sense. Yeah. You're like, hey, put this in here or create this play. Like to think that deeply about things is fantastic. Like as a fan, we can nitpick and, and say, oh, you should have done this. How come this didn't happen? You know, but when he's doing it, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. And it should be said, any nitpicks we have is out of love. Obviously, we all love this movie. Like, right. This is like, we could not do anything better than John Hughes. He was a genius. Like, the way he kind of carved out his own niche of these, like, teenage movies. And, like, yeah. nobody's done it better before or since. So, yeah, don't take any of these nitpicks the wrong way, people. <laughs> so, my uh, my final thoughts on uh, Broderick, just a little history of where he was at that time. Uh, he, Like I mentioned, he was the first choice for Family Ties. He actually turned down the role... Of Johnny Utah in Point Break, I heard oh, that. Yeah, which I'm glad because I don't not understand that at all. Is he yeah, big enough to do that? No, no. no. Um, so I'm. I don't. Has he ever played any kind of athlete? No, or that's what we're saying. He's any not, kind of he's physical. Not a, he's not an action person. Yeah, so like that wouldn't have worked. And, and I read he he hurt his knee on the running home yeah. scene at the end, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. that wouldn't have worked out too well. So an older Broderick was actually considered for uh, Walter White as well. Oh my God, Whoa. that was mind blowing. Yeah, uh, I mean they got that right. I mean, the, the one the okay, way, you know? the one, I had not heard that, but the one thing that I like about that is the the famous gif now of Jesse Pinkman screaming, "He can't keep getting away with this." That could have been like oh, that that's like Genie could have been saying the same yeah, thing with Ferris. <laughs> Marty, what do you think? Any uh, final thoughts on this uh, this film? I think that uh, the only thing that that we haven't mentioned that was groundbreaking was in the credits. It was one of, I did my best. I did my best research. I reserve the right to be wrong about it, but I believe it is the first time that the credits was not a blooper reel that you paid attention to. It was still part of the movie. It actually advanced the narrative forward. Whatever happened to it's an epilogue. It's a simple yeah. epilogue, is what it is. But it is so exceptionally satisfying to watch Rooney get humbled that <laughs> you, so you have to sit there and stare at it. I was in the movie theater myself. And then Ferris Bueller 
comes out at the end and says, go, go yeah. home. That was groundbreaking. Is that the and first post-credit scene uh, known to man? Is that maybe? Yeah. That, maybe. that he I, pioneered that before all the Marvel movies. You're talking about multiverse, yeah. Right. And uh, a, a lot of a lot of the movies use the credits as blooper reels and outtakes and this and that, which is great. Uh, it's kind of a 70s conceit. But you get to the mid-80s, 86, um, and John Hughes is like, no, 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 no. We got to show what happened to Ed Rooney. Yeah. Uh, it says Rooney eats it. On Rooney the, eats on it. On the yeah. seat in front of him. I love it. <laughs> so Indeed. perfect. Cool. What about you? We missed anything? I feel like we really covered a lot. I'm sure there's some things here or there, but we a lot of quotes, a lot of scenes, the music, the actors. Yeah, this. I think we. I feel good about this one. I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of little tidbits in here that you know. I think we could probably like really dive into like some little things, but I think for the most part, I think we captured it there. So let me give you two quick things, Mark. Sure. Before we go, hit me. That some of my favorite behind the scenes facts that I've read on any of the movies we've done. Um, Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey got engaged and they were engaged when this movie came out when it hit theaters it didn't end up working out and even better uh, their parents in the movie Mr. and Mrs. Bueller they met on this on the set of this movie and got married and I think they even had two kids they eventually divorced but they basically fell in love filming this movie together and became married in real life which I thought was pretty incredible (laughs) on the same thing with the Jennifer Grey too I think Sloan had a crush on him too so there was a little love triangle there where he's doing the, all these scenes. But, yeah, he was dating Oh, Jennifer me Gray. and Sarah in me, yeah. real life? Wow. Yeah. That's wow. a good problem to have, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> life was pretty good for Matthew Broderick yeah. in 86, for sure. Well, if that's all we have for uh, Ferris Bueller, then um, this is a lot of fun. So on behalf of Terrence and Marty, thanks, everybody, for listening. And, um, yeah, if you made it this far, I appreciate it. Be sure to uh, you know share this with a friend and do whatever you got to do. But thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You're still here? It's over. The podcast is done. It's finished. Move on to the next one. It's time to hit next. Go to the next show. Come on now.